Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this message, you are challenged and encouraged by the Word of God and grow in your love for God and love for others. It is God's desire for us to be members of and regularly participate in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you are not attending a local church right now, we encourage you to take that step. If you do live in the North York area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to visit us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings to discern if this is the church God is leading you to. Hi, morning. Yeah, it's good. It's certainly good to, to be here. And um, it's just a joy to just hear the voices, um, just um, singing praise to God. You know, it's really refreshing and encouraging. And I hope it was, um, our time of worship was an encouragement um, for you too. Um, so, we have quite a bit to cover today. It's um, um, 1 Kings 19. Um, I was... Um, Somehow I thought that, you know, someone would have read it for me, but, you know, I'm fine. I'll just go ahead and read it. Um, but let me, let me first go ahead and uh, let's pray. Um, Father, we, we thank you for today, Lord. We thank you for the fact, Lord, that, um, you know, creation, created things will fail us, but our hope is certainly founded in you and you're faithful and you're faithful to yourself, Father. Thank you for your word and the opportunity to share from it. And for those of us who will listen, Lord, um, we pray that you would open up the eyes of our hearts so that we, like Jeremiah, will say, your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. Amen. Okay, so let me go ahead and read. So, verse 1 of chapter 19, 1 Kings. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and he ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel had forsaken your covenant, 
thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I alone, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I alone, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nifshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall appoint, or anoint rather, to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Here ends God's word. So um, the title for uh, my message today, our message um, today is Hope for the Depressed. Now depression is not a simple black and white thing. There are many degrees of discouragement on a spectrum, if you will, the worst of which is the most crippling kind of depression. Now, um, if you and I were sharing and you said, I'm feeling depressed, I'd probably ask you about your eating habits, your sleeping habits, your exercise habits, and so on. There are so many ways that we can be depleted, and it feels spiritual when it has physical roots as well. Now, let's get it out there. Anyone can suffer from depression. We are not immune to it. A young lawyer in the 1800s suffered such a deep depression that his friends did everything that they could to keep all razors and knives away from him. He wrote these words. I'm now the most miserable man living. Whether I shall be better, I cannot tell. This lawyer later became the 16th president of the United States. His name was Abraham Lincoln. Charles Persian, who we all know, experienced periods of depression. History tells us that there were times when he would be so depressed that he refused to leave his home to go to church. On more than one occasion, his deacons had to come and physically carry their pastor into the pulpit. Now, these accounts remind us that 
Depression is a common experience. It is something that happens often in life. In other words, if you go through a time of depression, you are not alone. And certainly, you're not the first to have gone through it. So my aim today is to bring encouragement to those who are suffering from depression or who might down the road suffer from depression and to offer instruction from the word of God to those who are supporting them. Now, quickly, some background to 1 Kings 19. Now, if you were to read 1 Kings 18, you would see Elijah confronting the prophets of Baal. He says to them, my God can whoop all your gods. Meet me on Mount Carmel. Bring help, in fact, bring all the help you can get. And in a Jamaican kind of way, he said, I'm going to show you who's God run things. The day arrives and Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal to call on their gods to consume their sacrifice with fire. Nothing happens. Elijah then prepares his sacrifice and with an extra show of swag, douses the altar with water. He then calls on God and the fire of the Lord falls in a remarkable way and consumes the burnt offering. Then as the curtain of 1 Kings 18 closes and the curtain of 1 Kings 19 opens, we see Elijah running scared for his life after a threat from Jezebel. If it's one thing we know for certain, um, he can run because he ran um, ahead of the chariots and now he's running from Jezebel. He was like, you see in Bolt, I guess. Next, what we see is that Elijah is in a period of depression. Now, in the text, we are allowed to see a side of Elijah that both shocks us, but it also helps us. It shocks us, shocks us when we realize that men and women used greatly by God can experience periods of depression. And it helps us by offering hope from God's word. Do you all agree with me that at times, all of us have um, times of being down, sometimes for no good reason? Let me see a show of hands. Wow, some of us are doing really, really well than I thought. Anyway, I'll continue. I believe First Kings 19 provides counsel for us during those times. So, here we go. My first point is this. When I'm depressed, God compassionately calms me. Now, if you study Elijah's life, you'll find that he was a man of purpose, power, and of prayer. But in 1 Kings 19, he's a fearful man, hung up on Jezebel's threat, as we might say. Jezebel uses a scare tactic on him. She sends a messenger to tell him that by tomorrow, this time, he's finished. Now, if she really wanted to kill him, why didn't she just send a messenger to kill him right there and then? But that alone made him scamper. Now, I want to quickly show you something about Elijah. In 1 Kings 17, you don't have to turn there. Let's look and see how Elijah's mood was, how he regards his relationship with God. So we read in the first verse, Now, Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand. No, I'm not going to read all of it, just that piece. 
Notice that he regards himself as standing before the Lord, God of Israel, and that the God before whom he's standing is a living God. Now let's look on verse two. It says, and the word of the Lord came unto him saying, get thee hence. What we see here is that the prophet is open to the word of God. His heart is inclined toward hearing from God. But we read nothing about the word of the Lord here in the first few verses of chapter 9. 19 rather. What we read instead is this. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life. Now, it is obvious that Elijah does not wait for directions from God. And when he doesn't, you can be sure he's doing his own thing. Here's a takeaway for us. Let's remember that fear can sometimes drive us to make impulsive or irrational decisions. Elijah had just witnessed the power of God on Carmel. But now, because of fear, he doesn't even wait on the Lord. Friends, brothers and sisters, our actions must be governed by the word of God and by the direction of the Holy Spirit who has been placed by God within us to give us guidance. If not, we're just doing our own thing. So Elijah doesn't wait on the Lord. He doesn't wait on the word of God. He just runs away and isolates himself. Now, for those of us who have been depressed, one of the effects of a depressed spirit is the desire to be alone. It actually is pushing us away from what we were created for, and we're all created for community. So that's one thing that we know, that depression is not something that, um, you know, we should just, you know, go based on how we feel. Now, depression isn't only caused by the absence of community. It perpetuates it. So if you are depressed, Isolation is not what you need. Instead, you need others to encourage you. So here's a word for you. Don't stay away. Don't avoid community. Get out to church. Now, even if we at church don't understand what you're experiencing, at least we can pray with you and be a friend to you. Here's a verse for us to remember. Hebrews 10.25, and I'll read not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, not only did Elijah wait, not wait to hear from the Lord, he began to focus only on his own circumstances. Now, this is a problem that we're all prone to and are all encouraged to try and avoid. Now, um, verse 4 kind of gives us a peek into Elijah's heart. It reveals that Elijah's trouble stemmed from him tying his value to his success in ministry. It says, But he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take my life. And here it comes for I am no better than my father's. You see, Elijah had tied his value, his identity, not to being a servant of God, but to being 
successful as a servant of God. And when that didn't turn out as he expected, he wanted to die. Friends, what Elijah needed to hear is what we all need to hear. Our value is not in what we do for God. Remember, he doesn't need us. Yes, I said it. He doesn't need us. Our value is instead grounded in being united with him. So Elijah begins to focus on himself and doesn't wait to hear from the Lord. He also stopped interceding for others and made a request for himself. Now, I'm not saying that it is bad to make personal requests of our Father God. What I'm saying is that when we become so self-conscious that it dominates our thinking, we are in trouble spiritually. When we get to the place where everything is about me, 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 we need to know we are in trouble and on the verge of a time of discouragement and possible depression. So what requests does Elijah make for himself? And interesting, this is the first time he prays. And his request, he says, he requests for God to take his life. Now, many depressed people have thoughts of dying. And as irrational as that might sound to some of us, it feels real for them. So you're encouraged to take care when someone is depressed and reaches out. Here are some things to remember, however, for um, when the Lord, sorry, here are some things for us to remember about the Lord when he is considering our requests. The first thing is that he takes our human nature with its problems into account. The next thing is that he often refuses to give us what we ask for. Instead, he gives us what we need. Now, Charles Persian um, once said, how gracious, gracious it is on God's part not to grant the requests of his people when they are unwise. So Elijah begins to focus on himself and doesn't wait to hear from the Lord. He also stopped interceding for others and made a request for himself. Now, with all of that, let us examine how God responds. First thing, God was gentle with him. In verse 5 it says, And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Now, there were no sermons. When the angel comes to Elijah, there are no lectures, no threats, no rebukes. The angel simply ministers to him in practical ways. First, the angel touches him. Now, it is true that God is long-suffering, patient and kind to us. I mean, Numbers 14 says, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and so on and so on. But let me remind you that God chastises his children too. In Revelation 3.19 it says, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. So, so um, God did not scold him. And guess what? God gave him time to sleep. Here's a reminder for us. 
God never intended our bodies to be run like how we forced them to. You and I should never be guilty of laziness, but we should get the rest our bodies need. When we are rested, we will accomplish more for God than we will if we are exhausted. Remember, even the Lord Jesus took time to, to rest. Um, we can find it in Mark 6, 31. You can um, read that when you get home. So not only was God gentle with Elijah by not scolding him, and you know we heard he also gave him time to sleep, God also gave him grace. First, God gave him the grace of his presence. Um, verse 5 says, reads, and reads rather, and he lays down, and he lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him. So even though we find Elijah running away from God, God had not abandoned him. God was still faithful in spite of Elijah's failure. No. God extends the same grace to you and me. Regardless of where the paths of sin and suffering lead the saint of God, we need not fear being abandoned or forsaken by him. God gave his promise in the matter. In Hebrews 13, 5, it says, Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So God graced Elijah with his presence. Next, he gave him the grace of his provisions. Verse 6 and 7, and I'm going to read. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. So even though Elijah was in a place of his own choosing, running away from the will of God for his life, still God met his needs, providing him with food and water. Here's an application for us. Sometimes the wisest thing we can do when weary, depressed, or desperate is to receive the common good gifts of God in the form of food and sleep. How many problems we encounter could have been avoided if we didn't deal with some situations when tired or hungry? So um, just a heads up here, there's a barbecue after. So come and eat your fills so you don't um, deal with situations when hungry, okay? Like Elijah, how many times have we run from God and his will for our lives? And yet, he's still faithful, ever-present, and he continues to bless us. Why does he do this? I believe it is to bring us to the place of repentance. Romans 2.4 says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Now, don't make a mistake and take this the wrong way. If you go off into sin, the Lord will deal with you patiently and with love and compassion. However, 
if you refuse to repent and return to him, the day will come when he will show you who run things. 1 Corinthians 5.5 has some sobering words for us. It says, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So we find that God gave him the grace of his presence. He also gave him the grace of his provisions. And he also gave him the grace of his patience. Now, when I read through 1 Kings 19, you know, I find God's patience just all over it. So here are a couple of things that we note. The angel comes to Elijah two times. It's not like the Jamaican parent who says, boy, don't make a talk more than one time. God also allows him to continue on his chosen journey. The next thing God does is that he invites Elijah to share. Again, no reprimand, no chastisement. No, he didn't say, God didn't say, hey, bro, I know what you're going through. Even though God was well positioned to say that. Elijah was allowed to share what was on his heart. And this is often the relief that is close at hand for those who are depressed. Now, God doesn't call out Elijah's inconsistency. Now, in retrospect, this is something that I had to learn. A few years ago, I was, um, you know, just supporting a brother who was depressed, really depressed, you know. And um, what I found is that I was always just trying to prove that his logic was wonky. He was saying stuff that didn't make sense, and I was just trying to, you know, um, show him where the holes were. Um, think about it. Elijah, he had just fled because Jezebel had threatened to kill him. And now here he is in the wilderness asking God to kill him. Right? So, you know, there was some inconsistency there. Did he really want to die or did he want to die? Now, God is patient with you and me as well. If we got what we deserved, God would abandon us for a people who would, lo who would love, serve, and honor him as Lord. Yet, even when we fail him, he's faithful to stand by us. Why he does that? Because he's faithful to himself. And there's this nice verse I found in Jeremiah 1, verse 12. It says, and I paraphrase, he's watching over his words to fulfill them. So when I'm depressed, God com God's compassion calms me, or God compassionately calms me. Finally, when I'm depressed, God's confrontation cures me. Now, what did God confront? The first thing God confronted was his actions. Verse 9. Here he came to a cave, I'm reading verse 9, and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? As we heard before, fear filled Elijah and he ran away and hid in a cave. Now it is apparent that this is not where God expected him to be. Hence the question from God, what are you doing here? Now here are a few things that fear can cause. The first thing fear can cause is that it can make things look much worse than they really are. Now, 
Why do I say that? In verse 10, Elijah says, and I, even I alone, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. But was he really alone? No. If we go down to verse 18, God says, and I read, I, yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the, the knees that have not bowed to Baal. The next thing fear can lead us to is that it can lead us far from fellowship. Elijah runs away, leaves his servant in Beersheba, and goes further into the wilderness and isolates himself. The next thing fear can do is that it can rob you of your joy. Here in the text, we see Elijah down in the dumps. The next thing it can do is that it can drive you from the work of the Lord. One week, Elijah is calling down fire to consume the sacrifice. And the next, he is hiding in a cave, fearing for his life. So we see God confronted his actions. The next thing God confronted was his attitude. And I think here is the real crux of the matter. God spends more time getting to the bottom of the problem instead of on the problem itself. God knows that the heart, our decision central, is where the problem is. And he puts us through pain to help us see ourselves for who we really are. Now, Elijah believed some half-truths that triggered feelings of self-righteousness, self-pity, and self-importance. You know, he felt sorry for himself. He really did. You know, he had worked so hard for the Lord, and all he received in return was hatred. So he decided to pro protect himself, or so he thought that he was protecting himself instead of doing God's work. The next thing he was doing is that he was judging his work horizontally. He, was, he said, I'm no better than my father's. You know, he was thinking about those who went before him or who were, um, like himself, being used by God as prophets, and he's saying that he's no better than they are. He was judging himself on the horizontal. Next thing is that he was consumed with what he, um, what, sorry, he was consumed with what was before him instead of who was going before him. And he became fearful, and he ran. Next thing, he, he um, compares his zealousy for God with the forsaking ways of the Israelites. He was prideful, maybe, thinking it was all up to him, or if he, he was the only one who got things right. Not only was he feeling sorry for himself, but he had this feeling of self-importance. Um, in verse 10 and verse 14, he says, I alone am left. You know, um, Elijah was used um, to being, um, sorry, he was used to seeing the remarkable. He was used to being used in remarkable ways by God. After all, you know, who else was fed by ravens? No, I mean, I don't know if that's a great thing because when last I checked, um, ravens are scavengers, right? But anyway, he was fed by ravens, miraculously. Who else had seen God raise someone from the dead? Who else had rebuked a king and lived? Who else had defied 450 Baal prophets, 
prayed fire down from heaven and then killed the prophets. Yes, he was used to the spectacular. But no, watch God reveal his heart in verse 11 to 13. And it said, sorry, and, and it says, and he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, aren't we also guilty of wanting to see the spectacular too? When we see great things happening, we get excited. When we see the church growing, people getting saved, shouting, and all the wonderful things we all like to see, we get fired up and talk about how the Lord is moving. However, we forget that God doesn't always move in outward manifestations. Often, the greatest works of God are done in the secret places of the heart. Now, God wants to teach Elijah and us that it is his work in the heart of the individual that is important. The power of God is in the word of God and in the work of his spirit in the hearts of men. And as God speaks to us and grows us, his glory is revealed in ways that it could not be otherwise. God is in the business of growing men into the image of his son. And what greater miracle is there than taking a sinner, saving him by grace or her, and reproducing Jesus in and through them? No, I don't want us to leave here thinking that um, God only gave Elijah words for the nation of Israel. God also had words for Elijah himself. In verse 9 it says, the word of the Lord came to Elijah and said to him, what are you doing here? Brothers and sisters, friends, we all need God's word. None of us are in a position of perfection. We all need to hear from God. Now, I wonder if God is asking anyone here this morning the same question he asked Elijah. What are you doing here? To the believer, what are you doing here worrying about singleness? What are you doing here living in unforgiveness? What are you doing here struggling with pornography? What are you doing here walking through depression alone? And to the unbelievers with us today, what are you doing here thinking that a life without Christ is worth living? What are you doing here believing that you can turn your life around? What are you doing here? Now, I'm not immune to getting that question asked um, by God. 
You want to hear two of them? Yes. Okay, even if you didn't say yes, I was still going to share them. <laughs> um, here, 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 here they are. Sean, what are you doing here? Believing that your identity is grounded in your ability to provide for your family. Next one. Sean, what are you doing here pretending that you have it all together when you are as broken as they come? You see, we wander from the path of obedience to the Lord and we go our own way. We develop bad attitudes or get slack in working for his kingdom. Or we might even walk into open sin. When we do, the Lord says, what are you doing here? Now, if the Lord were to speak to you today, would he, would he have to ask you the same question? What are you doing here? Now, I thank God for the challenges from the word of God and from the spirit of God. Remember, um, Revelation 3.19 says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. If the Lord challenges your life, it's only because he loves you. So God confronted Elijah's actions. He confronted his attitude. And he confronted his assumptions. Now, Elijah assumed that he was forsaken. In verse 14, he says, He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I, alone, am left. Twice Elijah had complained that he was alone in his devotion to the Lord. In verse 10 and in verse 14. However, God tells him in verse 18 that there are 7,000 others who have not worshipped Baal. So Elijah is not alone. There are others who will stand with him, and he's given hope and encouragement. Now, we aren't alone either. Whether it's discouragement, depression, sin, or anything else, others have been through it and are going through it as well. Even if no human comfort can be found, the Lord knows what you are going through and is ever present to help you through any crisis you might face in life. So not only did he assume he was forsaken, he assumed he was finished. He thought his life and ministry was over and he was ready to die. But you know what? The Lord still had a word for him. And in verse 15 to 17, we see it. And it says, And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you will, you will anoint Hazel to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. I won't read um, verse 17. So Elijah is given an important assignment from the Lord. He's told to return to Israel. There he's to anoint two kings and a prophet. Here he's given evidence that the Lord is not finished with his life. Surely this must have been an encouragement to him. Now, it would do those of us who have wandered off, the, wandered off the Lord's path good if we were to confess today 
that we have sinned. The Lord is faithful. He will forgive you and he will use you again like he did Elijah. You might not be what you were before, but you can still be a blessing in the kingdom of God. So if you're here today wallowing in the pit of depression, why not bring that to the Lord and ask him to use you again for his glory? He still has plans for your life. And why do I say that? If you're still alive, he still has plans for your life or else you would have been in heaven already. Now, when Elijah went into the wilderness, he left his servant behind in Beersheba. He was all alone. Now, God knew this was not good. And he gave him a man named Elisha. Elisha was to be a companion to Elijah and would take Elijah's place when his ministry ended. Now, I like the concluding words of the text. It says, then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. God knew that the burdens Elijah carried were too heavy for him to bear alone. So he gave him a friend, a peer. He gave him one to walk beside him through the valleys and through the difficulties. Now, we all need that kind of personal ministry from time to time. Proverbs 27, 17 says, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Now as I close, I want, wouldn't want us to go away thinking that the scriptures present themselves as an automatic guarantee of emotional turnaround. The scriptures aren't naive, as if they are the quick and easy fix for every emotional blankness. But the point is that Without the scriptures, there is no hope of a Christ-exalting turnaround of our emotions. Medication might turn us around emotionally, but by itself and without the word of God, it won't put us on a right footing with Jesus Christ. It may feel good, but without the word of God, it may not have done you any long-term good. Let me ask each unbeliever the question God asked of Elijah. What are you doing here? What brought you here this morning? Did you come to worship God? Or to gratify curiosity? Or merely because it's a proper thing to go to a place of worship on a Sunday? What are you doing here? What have you been doing all morning? When we sang, did you praise or were you confused or petrified? And when we prayed, did you join in? Or was your heart somewhere else? Romans ten nineteen says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. My prayer is that today you trust in Christ for your salvation. Um, let me pray. Father, we have said a lot. I've said a lot. Um, thank you, Lord, for your words. Lord, I just thank you that our confidence is in you, our hope is in you. Our confidence is not in pills, it's not in physicians, it's not in pastors, it's, in noth- it's not in nothing created. Our hope is in you. Lord, may that be a reality. 
for those of us who are going through depression, will go through depression, or supporting those who are going through depression. In your name I pray. Amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit hopetorontonorth.com.